This is Jason Miller. On this episode of Jazz Casts from the Vault, jazz artist interviews from the KBOU archives, my 2006 episode with jazz singer, songwriter, and pianist Dave Frischberg. My guest today on Afternoon Jazz, Dave Frischberg, has enjoyed a career remarkable for both its quality and its diversity. Long known as one of the outstanding pianists in jazz, Frischberg has also established himself as an internationally recognized composer and lyricist, as well as a solo performer with a loyal following. Early in his career during the 1960s, he was a busy pianist in New York City, playing regularly with major jazz artists of the time, including Ben Webster, Al Cohn, Carmen McRae, and Gene Krupa. In 1971, he moved to L.A., where he worked as a studio musician and recorded with a diverse array of artists, including Manhattan Transfer, Jimmy Rushing, Bud Freeman, Suzanne McCorkle, and Rebecca Kilgore. Frischberg has also become known for writing and recording his own songs and performing them in prominent jazz and cabaret venues. His song credits include cult classics like My Attorney Bernie, Van Lingo Mungo, Pill Me a Grape, and You Are There. Four Frischberg albums have earned Grammy nominations for Best Jazz Vocal. Other artists have also recorded his songs, including Susanna McCorkle, Rosemary Clooney, Diana Krall, Blossom Deary, John Pizzarelli, Bob DeRoe, Tony Bennett, and Mel Tarme. His songs, including the well-known I'm Just a Bill, appeared regularly on ABC's Schoolhouse Rock series. The first question that, uh, that I had for you that I was, I was curious about is um, when did uh, your, your songwriting kind of come to the forefront? I know that you started out just strictly playing piano for the most part. Is that correct? That's right. I was playing piano uh, I went to, after I got out of service, which was in 1957. I went to New York. And I was in the Air Force for a couple of years. And then I went to New York in 1957. And uh, until a, and I stayed in New York for about nine, until about 1971 when I moved to Los Angeles. And during that whole time I was in New York, I was I was playing the piano. That was it. But I did begin to write songs then uh, because I was working with a lot of uh, singers. And I got interested in in the repertoire that they were presenting me to work with. I hadn't in the jazz world. I didn't I had never come across a lot of this stuff, and kind of opened my ears a little bit and made me interested in seeing if I could do it myself. And was jazz songwriting kind of changing because it it, it sort of um, you know your style always kind of was like a jazz singer songwriter in my opinion. You know it was it was different material than a lot of the standards. Yes, it, uh, it, well, jazz is where is how I naturally write music. You know, I think of I think of my writing as being jazz influenced, and and that's the way I naturally express it. But at the same time, uh, even from the very beginning when I started writing songs, I was interested in all different uh, different kind of scopes for the music. It wasn't just the jazz market I was thinking of. Most of the records, most of the songs that I've recorded myself are jazz oriented, mm-hmm. and that's because those are the ones I can handle vocally. <laughs> How do you kind of uh, log your ideas? Because uh, uh, just a lot of situations and stories and characters and people end up in your songs. I've always, I've always enjoyed that. Yeah, well, that's kind of a tool I have actually. Uh, it's, it's, it's an aid to to writing. It's, it's easier for me to write if, if I can. Uh, First, figure out a point of view, maybe a character that might be singing it. It's, I just always tried to handle it that way. Uh, it just helps me with ideas, and 
a lot of times that character is not myself, and a lot of times it is. What's what's kind of a character song uh, that you like to get into, not as yourself? Well, for instance, uh, oh, songs like, uh, you know, when I'm talking about character, I'm now, I'm, now we're in the realm of lyric writing. And many times I'm writing, ti- I'm writing lyrics to someone else's music. Uh, now, for instance, with Johnny Mandel, he gave me a melody that I've always considered to be a, a, a woman singing it. I've always, ever since I wrote it, I, I, I imagined it was a woman singing it. I was so surprised when, not so surprised, because I've made a record of it myself, because it works for either gender. But I would point to that lyric as something that I wrote uh, out of my own, that's not part of my own character. It's part of a woman's character that I was thinking of. I think of that immediately when you ask me for an example. Uh, But also, uh, characters like the one who sings My Attorney Bernie, that's not me, really, (laughs) but it is. It is a character. It, it is a client. It's not an attorney that I'm uh, lampooning. Actually, it's a client who sings the song. And from that point of view, it helped me write. It's interesting. A lot of a lot of singers of both genders and of all kinds don't really enjoy uh, playing characters when they sing. And those are the singers that tend to stay away from my songs. Sometimes uh, I sometimes I've heard the singers explain to me that they don't want that. Uh, singing my songs and singing about those subjects with that attitude that's in many of them, uh, they feel that would uh, interfere with their image. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I have to respect that point of view. A lot. They'd rather. They're not interested in being actors. They're they're interested in sh- in t- in being personal with their singing. You know. Yeah, I understand, and I guess again you can interpret that. There's a lot of songwriters that have done stuff that have been kind of edgy, and and it's it's just them doing kind of a theatrical sort of sort of thing. Yeah, it's a different approach, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And uh, the uh, are there are there any situations or ideas or things that have been presented to you that just didn't work as a song, or something that you came up with and you try to put in a song, it just didn't kind of work out? Well, <laughs> most of them. <laughs> yeah, I go through that a lot. I'm sometimes shocked to go back. I keep everything in my filing cabinets, and I'm shocked to go back and see how many, how many scraps and ideas and almost half and and half finished songs there are in there. Uh, they far outnumber the ones that I finished. Okay, <laughs> the far out. <laughs> the uh, well, I was I was looking through uh, your discography online, and I I uh, saw. Uh, uh, a fun uh, people song that I, I hadn't heard, but the title intrigued me as the Ballad of Ralph Nader. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I wrote that when I was working on the staff of a television show in Los Angeles. It was a variety show called The Funny Side, 1971. This was well, this was the job that brought me to Los Angeles from New York. Okay. And uh, I, I, I did my assignment each week was to write a production number for whatever the week's subject was and the production number they wanted it to involve many members of the cast whenever possible well that i forget what the actual subject was that week but what i came up with was this ball this ballad of ralph nader which was in in cowboy style and that was sung by uh the juvenile lead and uh, and uh, his girlfriend the teenagers and they sang it 
and then the whole cast joined in on it. And it was one, it was one of those uh, you know like a shit kicking uh, western type thing a ling a with banjos and stuff. Okay, wow. <laughs> Ballad of Ralph Nader, Uh-oh. and uh, it was pretty funny, and it got it, it got a lot of comment from the. It was on NBC. This show it got a lot of comment from the television audience. <laughs> That's wonderful. About uh, twenty year, more than twenty years later, uh, I was contacted by the Ralph Nader campaign when he was running for president. Right. And I and I was I I went and recorded. Uh, they wanted a version. I updated the song at that point and gave it to them, and they used it limitedly. You know, in a limited way. That wasn't didn't become their theme song. But yeah, that's the story behind that. Well, there's a lot of candidates that have theme songs now, so it was it was something good that was that they probably were happy when they found it. I wanted to um, to ask you about a particular song on the album "Little Did I Dream" that you recorded with Connie uh, Evingson. Um, the the song uh, "Zoot Walks In," one I had never heard before. Uh, I just really like that song a lot. Um, did you uh, perform with Zoot Sims before? Oh yes, I worked with Al Cohn and Zoot Sims quintet for about eight years in New York. Yeah. But it was far later that I wrote lyrics to that song. Now, that was part of our repertoire. It was Zoot's com- composition called The Red Door. Okay. And uh, it, we played it, it. That was a permanent part of our repertoire. And it was a very kind of a popular song among jazz musicians, especially Zoot Sims fans. After Zoot died is when I wrote the, the lyric to the song. And... Uh, it kind of it is kind of a tribute to him, but it was too late for him to ever hear it, uh, and so that's the melody is is by Zoot Sims and Jerry Mulligan. That's the way it's it's listed on the uh, uh, in the publisher's credits. Zoot Sims and Jerry Mulligan. I'm not sure what Jerry Mulligan contributed, yeah. and uh, and my lyric and title, and I changed the lyric to Zoot Walks In. It's a wonderful song. Really enjoy that one a lot. Well, I I thought it was interesting that Dave Carr. Uh, saw this as an opportunity to display his beat, to do his beat poet act, <laughs> you know, I, I, I love that. It was a big surprise to me that he did that. Discovered it when I got to the date and we began to record it. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it really just grabs you right away. Right. <laughs> really grabs you right away. What, what um, style of jazz really caught your ear when you first were starting to, to get into music? Is there a particular style or, or players that kind of caught your attention? Well, uh, I can answer it two ways. As a child, I was drawn to uh, the piano by listening to boogie-woogie piano players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, uh, 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 I just copied records. These, this was one of the days of ni- and, uh, the 78 RPMs, of course. Right. So I'd, 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 I, would, uh, I taught myself to play by, by sitting at the piano and copying boogie-woogie records by, uh, oh, uh, Pete Johnson and Albert Ammons. Those were my favorites. <clears throat> and uh, I went on from there. Uh, so those were the first people that really uh, got to me with uh, by, uh, with piano music. But my brothers both had extensive, uh, older brothers, had extensive record collections, and there was a lot of jazz in there, mostly jazz. Benny Goodman, Count Basie, Duke Ellington. So I heard all that music in my house and heard it from the time I was about eight years old on, you know, and began to try to deal with it. And deal with it, I like that. The, uh, 
And and we had mentioned uh, just a moment ago. You mentioned uh, uh, Dave Carr, the flute player and tenor saxophonist. Um, is he uh, was he instrumental in organizing the the project that you that you recently did with uh, Connie Evingson? Yes, he was. Uh, well, he, of course, uh, I don't know Connie from Minneapolis. I, you know, I've I've only recently met her. Right. Minneapolis is my hometown, of course, but it's been years since I've been there and and been a musician there. But I've kept in touch with Dave Carr all these years, and uh, when when Connie called me on the phone and proposed this to me, uh, the first thing I said is, can we get Dave Carr involved? And she said, he's already involved. <laughs> so that was perfect, because uh, Dave's one of my closest friends ever, and my, also one of my favorite musicians ever, so I wanted to make sure he was included on it. Is there any particular interpretation that you've that you've heard before that you really enjoyed that somebody had had recorded that just kind of surprised you? Well, gee, I just heard a new one. It's, a, it's not even out yet. That really knocked me out by a singer named uh, Tierney Sutton. Yeah, I've heard of her. Yeah, played her some oh, stuff. She's terrific, and uh, I know her a little bit. I've met her, but I didn't know that she was uh, that she had any of my songs and was interested in doing it. And she picked one out of a of the attic that very few people know about. It's called Long Daddy Green. And it's a, a song that I wrote with Blossom Deary. Blossom wrote the melody, and I wrote the title and the uh, lyric. And I love that. And Tierney Sutton has really made it into a very interesting record. I think she's enhanced the song by her recording of it. It's been recorded by just a very few people. So something forthcoming. So that's forthcoming, yeah. I also uh, like the way uh, certain singers have done my songs. Uh, I like the way John Pizzarelli treats my songs. And uh, Rosemary Clooney, I was was really uh, interested to hear how she enhanced my songs in her special way. Carol Sloan, I think, uh, made a wonderful record of uh, You Are There. That's very good. I like Connie's version of uh, "Peel Me a Grape" as well as anyone I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I like I like uh, our, our, the duet that we did, "Snowbound." Yeah, but that really came off good too. What are some of the projects you're working on right now? I'm working on a specific project, and it's uh, I'm writing songs for a, a play that's uh, being that's going to be produced here in Portland. And uh, it's a play about the, uh, it's a short play, probably a one-actor, about uh, the Algonquin Roundtable, the vicious circle at the Algonquin Hotel. Right. And uh, so uh, it's, I'm, re- I'm writing songs with the characters that, that inhabit my songs. Are Robert Benchley and Dorothy Parker and George S. Kaufman and Edna Ferber and very interesting group of characters to write for. I wanted to uh, ask a, a question that kind of my, my boss was putting my way. We, a lot of uh, all of us here can enjoy your songs, and uh, he he had a question. I, he wanted to know what slapping the cakes meant. Well, slapping the cakes is a uh, is a phrase is a term. This is uh, this is from my ex uh, ex wife, who uh, she and her friends in high school made this made this. Uh, that little term up to slap the cakes on someone i'm slapping the cakes on jeffrey or somebody like that so the girls i never knew these people that was long before i knew them you know but but she brought that uh, with her to the table 
uh, was the term slapping the cakes and that is to just uh, 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 implement uh, feminine wiles you know <laughs> heavy flirtation and like. uh, come on you know and uh, it's called to slap the cakes on someone so I thought that was really funny and odd and picturesque and I wrote the song so that was a long time ago and the odd thing about it was that more than once this happened in fact it was it would frequently happen someone would come up and say boy I sure haven't heard that expression in a long time that's an old one that's from you know I heard that you know I, I never said I never challenged anybody but a lot of people imagined that it was a, a piece of American slang you know it sounds like it has a history to it but it really doesn't it's just uh, her and her friends I like that. I like that because yeah, because it, it, it has yeah. It sounds like it's some kind of colloquialism or some kind of euphemism or something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, it has it has a real ring to it, and I'm not even sure what the image is. I think of someone hitting people with a pancake. <laughs> exactly. Me too. With like two on each ear. You know. Yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> uh, but I don't know what the, I don't know what it means, and it sure isn't a part of. It's not a historical American slang. That's for sure. Uh, Mr. Frischberg, I sure do appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed talking to you. Oh, enjoy talking to you as well. I really, uh, really enjoy your music so much. I thank you for it. Bye. My guest today on Afternoon Jazz, pianist, songwriter Dave Frischberg. Hi, this is Jason Miller, host of Afternoon Jazz here on 91.3 KVOU1. I hope you enjoyed my interview with jazz singer, songwriter, and composer Dave Frischberg. This interview included music from Dave Frischberg's album Classics on the Concord label and the album by vocalist Connie Evingson with Dave Frischberg as a guest called Little Did I Dream. For more information about Dave Frischberg's songs, you can go to Dave Frischberg, that's F-R-I-S-H-B-E-R-G, DaveFrischberg.net. For more information about Connie Evingson's album, you can go to Connie Evingson, that's E-V-I-N-G-S-O-N.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Jazzcast from the Vault, jazz artist interviews from the KVLU archives, interviews that originally aired on Afternoon Jazz here on KVLU. The podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms and also on the NPR One app. For more information about KVLU, you can visit kvlu.org.